0: Well, welcome back to Pastor's Class. We're glad that you could join us through video. I hope you have your Bible with you. Uh, We're still in the book of Philippians. We'll still be looking at chapter two as we continue through the book. Uh, My task is verses 12 through 18. You just finished the great hymn of Christ um, last week, and we'll pick up from there. Uh, In light of that passage, we'll pick up and be able to dig into what the scripture is teaching us today. So, if you have your Bible, join me in chapter 2 of Philippians. I'll read through the passage and pray, and then we can get started this evening. So the Bible says in chapter 2 of Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth and for your word. I pray that this word would impact the hearts of all those who listen to it. And I pray, God, that you would minister to my heart and allow me to say exactly what you desire for me to say and that your truth would come forth tonight. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. As we continue through the book of Philippians, what a great book that we have chosen to study. Uh, It is a a fantastic way to be able to read Paul's letter to the Philippians because it reads almost like um, a letter written from a guy who is genuinely in love with this church. This church had a special place in the heart of Paul. This church ministered to Paul on two different occasions and gave him money, monetarily ministered to him in a way that was helpful to him and that, that no other churches really did at that time. And so it was very helpful. It was a great relationship that he had with this church. And so for him to write this this letter, it was full of emotion. It was full of uh, genuine encouragement. That's why this book is often referred to as Book of Joy because he so wanted these people to be encouraged and he wanted to just invest in their lives. And so we pick up here, like I said, just after the the Christ hymn. And let me just read just a little bit of the ending of what you did last week. It says verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a a great passage, but in light of that, we pick up, it says, therefore, because of this, because God has exalted him in this way, because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, what should we do now? And so he's, therefore, my beloved, talking to believers, the believers at Philippi, as you have always obeyed. As is the manner of your life, as you have practiced when I was there, now do so when I'm absent, is what he says to them. So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, I want you to do something. And that something is work out your own salvation and do it with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as we start this I want to make a doctrinal distinction. So we're going to make um, clear what salvation is. He's, he says work out your own salvation and so people ask. The question is is there. Well does that mean that uh, salvation is by works? Is, is this what he's saying? Not at all. I want you to consider salvation in three ways. So like think of it in the past, present, future, or think of it doctrinally in this way. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. So, sanctification or justification is being removed from the penalty of sin. Immediately as a believer, one who's trusted Christ alone for salvation is immediately removed from the penalty of sin. You've been declared righteous through the righteous work and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Then, sanctification is the process of this salvation. So it's the, you're removed from the power of sin. The, the power of sin no longer has you in bondage and you can now live a life that honors the law of God, that honors the holiness of God. And so this sanctification is the process of salvation. You're being made right. So it's your, God is chipping away at those rough edges as He grooms you and makes you and molds you into an image of Himself. And then you have glorification. So glorification is the completed work of salvation. You're removed completely from the presence of sin and in the presence of Holy God. So those are the three things I want you to think about salvation. So this is the one element that we're looking at today where he is challenging his people to work out their own salvation, knowing that he is describing the work of sanctification. What role do we have as Christians to play in that? Our our role is to working. It's like a synergistic role. God has a role and we have a role. The Bible tells us that God is at work. He works in you and wills in you to work for his, at His good pleasure. So this is God's work and our work at the same time. Oftentimes when we think about uh, salvation we think of it as righteousness. We um, hear it all the time um, that God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ and doesn't see our sin. And that's true. I want you to think of it in two different ways as well. When you think of righteousness, What you think of it as positional righteousness, and then practical righteousness. So, in the position as a believer, we are seated in the heavenly places as if we're already there. Uh, God has made us righteous, declared us righteous, like justified us in in our sin, and made us right, and attributed Christ's righteousness to us on 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 um, Christ's behalf. But also, we have to live in this world and we have to live out a practical righteousness. So, though we are seated in the heavenly places, though we have the the positional righteousness of Christ, we are as if we are already in heaven, seated in the heavenly places, We we are still here on this earth and we live out righteousness on a daily basis. It's a call for us as Christians to live out a holy life and to reflect the glory and holiness of God. So this is what we should do. This should be our motivation in life to live a life that pleases and shines the light of glory to God Himself in our own lives. This is what we should desire to do. Oftentimes you hear of uh, people describing salvation in in a like an illustration of a butterfly. I hear it all the time you know our caterpillar goes into a cocoon and then comes out this beautiful butterfly. And that's a great and wonderful way to describe salvation that you know we're an uh, ugly caterpillar, and then there's this cocoon process, and then all of a sudden we become these beautiful butterflies. The only problem I see with that is it doesn't communicate what takes place in the middle. So we have this ugliness of the caterpillar, and then you just have the beauty of the butterfly at the end. It's completed work, and we don't get to see any in the middle. So we should probably uh, use a tadpole more so than, uh, than a butterfly. Of course, the frog's not very pretty, so nobody wants to use that. But the worst part of that is the process from going from a tadpole to a frog is extremely weird and ugly and you're uh, growing new limbs and dropping old ones and it, it's just a terrible process. But it does kind of describe what the process of sanctification is like. We are growing in godliness and sometimes it's, it's messy and ugly as Christians because we fail and don't do right. But this is what we're growing towards, We're growing to something better than what we are. And that is the process of sanctification that we'll be dealing with uh, tonight, and so then Paul lays a demand on their feet. So we have talked about the doctrinal distinction, and then he lays a demand at the feet of the people. So he says <clears throat> that we should work out our own salvation, and we should do so with fear and trembling. So, what do we do? How does this work? What should we be? Uh, in pursuit of well we should be in pursuit of the holiness of God we should do something we should it's not passive it's in hot pursuit of the holiness of God this is why the the language of the New Testament says over and over again that we're in a race that we're fighting the good fight that we're set for the course that is laid before us that um, we're in a contest this is the language of the New Testament And so it's setting the stage for us to be in a fight, to be engaged in this walk of faith and this journey that we are on. And we should do it in fear and trembling. Now, what does this fear and trembling mean? Does fear mean that we should be afraid of God and and be so scared that we don't do anything, uh, that He's mean or or, um, we're just uh, paralyzed by this fear and can do nothing? No, what it means is there's this reverent, Awe that we possess in honor of God, and we can we can display this on a regular basis. We we do this in a, in an everyday in our everyday lives in some sense in a very small sense. Uh, you've all seen or heard of or been around a gun in some way. When I was a young boy, my uncle and my father taught me how to use a gun, and they did it in a very careful way because this gun handled in the wrong manner could kill me. It had the power to take my life. And so you approach this with fear and trembling. You approach it with reverence and honor. So this is how we approach the Lord in a much greater scale, obviously. But this is how we approach the Lord, with fear and trembling. We do it with reverence. We do it with seriousness, with diligence, with discipline. We take very seriously the walk we have with the Lord. We want to do it in a way that is submissive and God-honoring. A lot of times, we'll uh, some Christians, they want to take the Lord's Word and make it fit their life instead of trying to change our lives and adjust what we're doing to fit God's Word. God is not um, somebody, some piece of clay that we can mold to fit our lives. We have to adjust to conform to Him and that is what the sanctification process is about, us adjusting our lives to fit to Him. So not only do we do it with fear and trembling, we should know that, that God is in partnership with us. And I say it that way because it says in the scripture, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It brings God pleasure to see His people conform to Himself. So He works in our hearts and in our lives to conform us to Himself. Does this mean He does it for us? No, this is the, the partnership. Um, you've most of you have been on a bike in some way. You Pedal on one pedal, it's extremely difficult. But if you use both pedals, it makes things a whole lot easier to ride the bike. And this is the way that the Christian life should be. We're, we're pedaling the same bike in two different pedals. The Lord is working on one side and we're working in synchrony with Him on the other. So this is how it should be. Now it doesn't mean that God is doing, a, doing this for us or making us holy on His own without any effort from us. Gordon Fee says it this way, God isn't doing it for them, he supplies the necessary empowering and he empowers them in the doing and in their willing. So he gives us the empowerment to be for our wills to desire to do right and he gives us the empowerment to do right. This is how God empowers us and strengthens us and works alongside us. Verse uh, he does this for his good pleasure because it brings him great joy to see his people conformed to him and then verse 14 says do all things without grumbling or disputing again this is a demand that he has placed on our life and it is something that we are required to do and it begins in the heart so he kind of let's just look at it for just a second first 14 says do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that it did not run in vain or labor in vain. So this is Paul laying before you this is what you should do and this is how you should do it. You should do this and it does it kind of in a in a positive and negative way. So he lays out a parallel. This is what you should do, and this is what you should not do. And so he lays this out. Don't be a grumbler and a complainer, and don't be an arguer. Don't dispute uh, with everybody. Don't get in debates all the time. This is not who you should be. So he says that and he lays it out. That's the negative part of this. The positive is we should hold fast to the word of God. It says here the word of life. So we are to hold fast to the Word, don't grumble, don't dispute, do hold to the Word of God. Hold to it, listen to it, put your life underneath it, submit to the Word of God. This is how we should live and delight in the Lord in our regular life. So we see this as a a parallel. So let's start with the negative. What does this mean? How How does this look in our life? What does it mean when it says don't grumble? Well, it starts in the heart, both of these these parallels, the positive and the negative start inwardly. So let's focus on that. In grumbling, uh, this is something that we start with in our heart. We, we may have an idea, it's, it's a word that's not spoken, it's a thought that is inside and it doesn't come out. It's just something we murmur that maybe, you know, when you're a young kid and your dad would say something and then you would walk away and you'd mumble something under your breath and he'd say, what'd you say? And you say nothing because you didn't want to get in trouble. This is kind of that that idea of grumbling here that the scripture lays out for us, that it starts in the heart. Well if you let that fester and you let that stay there, it will do nothing but grow and then so eventually it's going to come out in your life. This is why the scripture is very clear all the way through the Bible and the Proverbs and all the way through the New Testament that we should take captive every thought that enters our heart, that we should protect the heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. It is the wellspring of life. Protect the heart, guard the heart, uh, guard our minds, set our minds on the things that are above. Don't set your, thing, set your minds on things that are below or temporal. Uh, the Bible tells us in the Psalm, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. It's very important for us to make sure that we're not filling our heart with negative things and things that are against the Lord and things that, that uh, will bring negativity um, into our walk with the Lord. That we will hold bitterness and it would grow into a disobedient heart and a heart that would grow hard to God and when one that would walk away from the things of God. So we don't wanna do that. What we wanna do is cultivate a heart that loves God's word and loves the things of the Lord. This, there's an old saying in, in South Georgia I've heard it my whole life, and it goes like this: What's in the well will come out in the bucket. You go to the well, you drop the bucket. If there's good water in the in the well, good water is going to come out in the bucket. If there's bad water in the well, bad water is going to come out in the bucket. So whatever you're putting in your heart is going to come out on display in your life. So if you're grumbling and complaining, guess what? You're going to argue. It's going to be a part of the outward display of what's going on inwardly. So you're gonna argue, you're gonna debate, you're gonna dispute, you're doing exactly what he's told you not to do. Don't do this, because you live in this crooked and twisted generation. You wanna be uh, blameless in this crooked and twisted generation. I mean, we live in in a generation right now that is completely twisted and completely crooked. This word crooked here, from the Greek, we get the word scoliosis. So it means to be bent. This world is bent towards evil but it's always been that way. I know I run across people all the time that say, well, back in my day, it wasn't this bad. I have a collection of newspapers in my office. I've got this big book that has uh, newspapers in it, and just the other day, I was reading through it, and I saw an article, two articles. Uh, One was about a gentleman who uh, saw a pair of boots on a guy that he liked, and so he took a gun and shot him for his boots in the middle of the street, in the middle of daylight. And then there was another article about a young man who broke into the house of an older lady and robbed her and uh, murdered her in the process in in a brutal and terrible way. So I I look at those newspapers and the dates on those newspapers were surprising. The stories aren't surprising because I could have pulled that out of off the internet yesterday or this morning. But those newspapers Paper clippings were from 1910 and 1908 and I, and I say that to say this sin has always been around it's been around from the very beginning And the fall of Adam broke everything it brought sin and death into this world and man has had evil thoughts in their heart ever since and we are desperately wicked the Bible says of our own hearts So this isn't new. This is something that's been around for a very long time. We need to be in the fight for holiness. And we can't just say, well, you know, things were better when I was younger because they weren't. You may just hear about more things today. It's always been a crooked and twisted generation. He wrote this long time ago before your day and my day. So hundreds of years before your day and my day when we were growing up, this was a crooked and perverse generation and this, this generation needs the light of Christ and so we need to take seriously and fight the fight of faith and to walk this Christian path and bring and reflect the holiness of God to be a light to this lost and dying world. Well what do we do we know what we don't do we shouldn't grumble we shouldn't complain and argue Uh, we shouldn't be doing those things this results if we do that that results in in just like everybody else we don't look any different but somebody who doesn't grumble in their heart and doesn't dispute about every single thing in their life and around it, it looks different to this twisted generation it shines a light on Christ it brings glory to him and so that's what we should do then there's this positive command, it's commanded us to hold fast. This language here means to grab hold of, hold fast. It also can mean to hold forth, to display it. Um, so we should hold fast first and let, it, let the Word of God be in our hearts. So this is something that tells us we should read the Word of God. We should take the Word of God in our hearts on a continual basis. Reading it, we have all kinds of resources nowadays. We have the dwell app that the church promotes. You can listen to the word of God all the time. You can listen to it on your, your phone when you're at work. You can listen to it while you work out. You need to take in the word of God at every moment possible. This will help us hold fast to the word of God inwardly. Because just like the principle of the well, what's in the well comes out in the bucket, we talked about grumbling, is the same is true for the word of God. People Say all the time, you, you know, I'm probably guilty of it just like everybody else is. I can't remember, I can't memorize scripture that well. I have a hard time memorizing scripture. If you continually put scripture in your heart and your life, it will come out in natural conversation because that's what you're putting in your life. It'll begin to come out in a way that is organic and natural because that's what's inside of you. What's in the heart will come out of the mouth. That is the biblical principle we understand. This is true, the Bible says to us holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Not only do we hold fast to it inwardly, we hold forth to this lost world. We want to be lights uh, to this world, we want to shine brightly and the only way we can do that is to display the word of God for all those to see to hold forth the Word of God and to be uh, mouthpieces and, sp- and speak the truth of God to those that we come in contact with. The Lord has put you where you are in your life so that you can do this with the job that you have, the family that you have. Uh, be a light. You don't have to be obnoxious, but be a light of Christ to all those that you come in contact with. So we've talked about the doctrinal distinction that we have. between sanctification, uh, justification and glorification and how the Lord is that this is what we're doing is working out our salvation is talking about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We've now talked about the demands that that Paul has laid before us here in this little passage. Now I just want to talk about the delight of the Apostle. And So here we have uh, Paul saying I want you to hold fast to the Word of God, the Word of life, that brings so many good things into your life, that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm able or I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And then he says, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So look at the delight of the apostle here. He takes great delight in the fact that. He has invested his time and his faith into the life of believers. He's taken good amounts of his life, good portion of his life, invested um, into the life of the Philippian church and he doesn't want his, his life to be in vain, his efforts to be in vain. And so we see this and we understand how great of a task it is to for Paul to undertake the discipling of believers and he takes it very seriously. This is something that was uh, serious to him, was uh, very dear and dear to his heart, something he wanted to do. I want to read uh, just a little bit of scripture to you in 2 Peter and this is talking about what we should do in our life and the reason we should do it. As Christians 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 and following says this, <clears throat> So, here's what, he's, here's what the scripture's saying here in 2 Peter. If these things are present in your life, if you are diligently practicing working out your own salvation, if you're diligently adding to your faith virtue and brotherly kindness and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and all these things that are here in the scripture, if you're adding to your life these things, then you will not be ineffective. You will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will know Christ deeply. How do you know someone well? How do you get to know someone? Well, you get to know someone by spending time with them. I spend time with people all the time. And when you, oftentimes when you spend a lot of time with a certain individual, you pick up each other's habits. Maybe you start to laugh like that person or you say words that the other person says, that, that you pick up a... Um, kind of a slang term that they use and you kind of use it now interchangeably where you didn't use it before because you've been around this person. You pick up the way they talk, uh, maybe even some mannerisms that they have. That's that's what the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit does. When you spend time with the Lord and you add to your faith virtue and all these things, you pick up the mannerisms of Christ. You pick up uh, and reflect the holiness of God. This is what we want to do but there is a negative charge in the same passage here. It says in verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 1, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You're paralyzed in your faith. You, You can't move forward. You're not sure. You're so unsteady. You have no ground to stand on. You're not anchored in the truth. And so Paul took delight in the fact that he invested this effort and encouraged the people of the Philippian church to to dig into the Word of God, to hold fast to that Word because he knew that the Word of God doesn't return void, that it provides uh, progress to the believer. It will help them. So he can stand and be proud of that day to know that he didn't labor in vain and that his life mattered, that he made significant contributions to their life and he says it this way I'm to be even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith like this is a picture to the Old Testament where they would offer an animal and the, the wine would be poured over the animal or in front of the animal and burned up with the fire well that wine would turn into steam and this vapor would rise to the heavens and it would be symbolic of this great sacrifice well Paul is saying, I want to be a living sacrifice that helps you live this faith. I want to be a living sacrifice to the Lord that is a sweet aroma to Him and that is also carries others with me and impacts their life. And he wants them to also be glad and rejoice with Him. I can rejoice with you as ones who have finished the faith, who have fought or finished the fight and have fought the good fight and finished the course of their faith. This is what Paul hoped for and was looking to very soon in his own life and this is what he encouraged the Philippian church to be on course for as well. To finish their race, to finish the course, to fight the good fight and to do it well and with honor. Let me pray for you church as we end this session of Philippians. Father I thank you for your word and for your truth. God I pray that this would this truth would impact the hearts of our people that you would bring glory and honor to yourself through this good word this encouraging time and that we would hold fast to your word and to your truth and we would hold it forth to all those who could hear in Jesus name we pray amen